Hi, I'm Ryan North. I'm Lori Fungi. And I'm Sean Wilson. You're listening to Foster Family Matters, a production of CK Family Services. People united through God to enhance the physical, emotional, and spiritual well-being of at-risk children and families. Ryan, Lori, what is felt safety? Great question, Sean. I think I'll take that one since Lori's drinking coffee. Uh-huh. Go right ahead, Ray. <laughs> no. Um, yeah, so this is one of the things that was hardest for me to understand um, when we became parents, this idea of the difference between being safe and feeling safe. Um, and, I, and, I, and I felt once I kind of grasped the concept, I really felt sort of dumb, to be honest, mm-hmm. that, it, that it took me so long to understand it. Um, and so this idea that, that, that for us, at least when we became parents, we thought, oh, my gosh, so, so we're foster parents now. And, and, and these kiddos aren't um, being abused. They aren't being neglected. They're in a place where their, their physical needs are being um, taken care of, where there, there's shelter, there's clothing, there's warmth, um, there's food. And so why are we not seeing changed behaviors? And somebody had to like me enough to tell me it's not – you're focusing on the fact that the children are safe. What you need to focus on the fact is making the children feel safe. And from that uh, place of felt safety, they're able to connect in relationship. And once they connect in relationship with, with caring adults is where we start seeing um, behaviors change. Absolutely. I, I think what's so important is that <clears> – <throat> This kind of gets glossed over in some of our trainings or in some of our journey or or we remember it, but we may have drifted or sway away from it. And I think when we drift away from that being a number one priority in this journey is when we start to experience some of the conflict and the challenges more so in this mission. Um, The behaviors amped up, the connection starts to disintegrate. We start to see ourselves floundering a little bit more than feeling successful. Mm -hmm. And I think the number one reason behind that is because we have no longer allowed felt safety to be a priority, or maybe we've assumed that the child is starting to feel safe as they show us some of those signs. And so we stray away from it. And in doing so, it's almost as though we've gone one step forward and then five steps back. Yeah, because I think in those situations, what we used to do um, was it wasn't, oh my gosh, how can I make this child feel safe? It was, oh my gosh, how can I reassert my control? here in the home. And so when you're looking at it from that perspective, you make different decisions about what you're doing. Um, here's an example. So this is actually the story that kind of helped me understand this. So um, we had a, a foster son who, when I got home from work, would would run into the house if they were playing in the backyard. And it wasn't just to see me because he wasn't, they didn't really interact with me. Maybe just said hi. It wasn't like it was anything other than hi. But he was, you know, my wife and I'd be talking in the kitchen and he'd be just standing right there. And so, um, you know, one of the things that kind of helps me reintegrate into the family is, is my wife and I kind of talk about, you know, five, ten minutes about how my day was, how her day was, and that sort of is my sort of my channel back into the house, for lack of a better term. And then he'd come inside and then you're like, but you got to, when you're playing outside, when you go back outside and then it'd be, oh, I need water. Okay, get some water. And then like two minutes later, I need a baseball. And then a minute later, I need a baseball glove. I need to go to the bathroom. I need a football. It was just every two minutes he had a reason for coming inside. And eventually I said, look, unless there's an actual emergency, I need you to stay outside for 30 minutes, okay? I will let you know that 30 minutes are up. And so it was, and it was a big one, those big glass back doors at the time, the house we lived in. So it wasn't like he couldn't see us through the door. We were standing right by the door. Two minutes later, he was back inside. He needed the bathroom again. And it was just sort of driving me bonkers. I actually shared this with somebody. Um, and they said, well, how about you try this? Instead 
of pushing him away because that's what I was doing. I realized I was doing. But instead of pushing him away, why don't you rather say, hey, whenever you want to check to see if we're still here, you go ahead and do that. Because this, this foster child was in foster care because they'd actually been abandoned by the parent. Mm. And so um, I'm like, that's never going to work. And he said to me, humor me. And so I did. And so the next, time, the next day I came home from work and he came inside and I, and I got on his and I said, hey, bud, I know you just want to come and check to make sure we're here. So anytime you want to do that, just come inside and check, okay? We, what, you, want, you want a high five every time you come? We can do that. And um, he said, okay. And then didn't see him for 30 minutes. Because I'd given him permission to do the thing he wanted. Because every time I pushed him away, it made him more and more suspicious that I was going to head away. Right. Right. So it was just so a lot of this, though, um, Laurie and Sean, for me, is uh, the journey we've been on. Is so much of it is counterintuitive. So much of it is counter to where I was raised, which is the hardest part because you have to be so intentional and to think about well, does this kid feel safe and. Yeah, the, the answer a lot of the times is probably no. That's right. And and I love the counterintuitiveness, the, the fact that you point that out, because I think it's really easy for us to maybe put some blame. Um, we would never say that we blame the child, right? Of course not. But we would say that we blame the abuse or the yeah. neglect or the abandonment that that child had experienced. And to refrain from placing blame anywhere, because I don't think that's going to be productive for any of us to do that, but rather look through the lenses of it makes a lot more sense to me to see a child connect with something that's emotional rather than cerebral. So the idea of you're safe because I say you're safe is just a very logical um, notion. It's one that's cerebral. It's one that we operate in in an adult, um, in our adult capacities. But our kiddos don't necessarily operate that way. They don't function in a cerebral way. They function in an emotional way. So when we take the pressure off of ensuring that they are safe and rather working towards them feeling safe, I think it starts to make sense to the child of I'm valuable enough. I'm important enough. I matter to this family that they're going to these limits. This dad is telling me I can come in at any point in time that I want to just so that I can experience safety. So so let me ask a question real quick. So how, like the average foster parent that's out there, is there some sort of a litmus test? How do they know when a child is feeling safe? Like uh, I'll use the example, uh, I, have a, I have a five-year-old daughter and this morning we, t- we went to the dentist. And she's been to the dentist before. Mm. And, uh, you know, going to the dentist is something that raises fears in all of us, regardless of the cognitive awareness that we're... My blood pressure is always high at the dentist. (laughs) It might high now just talking about it. (laughs) Right, right. We're going to be okay. We know we're going to be okay. We we know it's a a good thing for us to go and do. And and yet uh, it was clear to me, you know, when I told her we'd made the appointment, uh, she immediately was like, I'm not going. (laughs) <laughs> this isn't, you know, this isn't going to happen. And, and, and I'm a parent who tries to give her choices and voice and that sort of thing. So that, that was an interesting challenge, just even trying to communicate with her that we're going. When we got to the dentist today, it was, it was a lot of um, trying to watch her to see the signs of, was she okay? Mm-hmm. And, and immediately when we got there, she actually literally took her coat off. It was cold today, took her coat off, turned it around so that she could put the hood over her face mm. so that they had no access whatsoever to her <laughs> mouth. And fortunately the staff there was pretty good, but at, I mean, is, is, I guess what I'm asking, get back, getting back to the question that I asked you guys, is there a way to tell other than maybe, is it that the child just starts behaving in a way that okay. they appear safe or what? 
Yeah, so so the, the dentist is is really an extreme example because at my age and, and there's no softballs here. There, there, there's no them straight down the plate. <laughs> <laughs> there is no feeling safe for the dentist. With apologies to all the dentists listening right now, but it is a scary place with those high pitched drills and and all those kinds of things. Um, so you asked if if I heard your question correctly, is there a sign that parents can see that the kids are starting to feel safe? And so one of the ways. Um, that, that we've seen that in our home is when the children are trying to control the home less. Sure, absolutely. And that looks more like a behavioral sign. Let me go back to you, Sean, and commend you for the, what I heard you say is that you searched her for signs. You looked at her mm. to see what she was doing, what her body was doing. And I think that's a great tip, just number one, off the start of being attuned and in tune to your child. Now, this is going to feel really difficult when that child's brand new into our home and we're still learning to know them and understand them. But as weeks progress, we become, because we're such habitual perspective-seeking people, we tend to see people's habits and we tend to operate off of their um predictability. And so when I see a child, excuse me, whose eyes start to get dilated and their stature becomes um, rigid and their brow begins to furrow and their fists begin to clench, these are great signs of something's amiss. Something Mm -hmm. physiological is going on inside this little body preparing themselves for survival or for some perceived threat. And so if you're watching your child close enough, this is these are great indicators of whether or not they're feeling safe in the moment. The most important part is that we have to remember to be attuned and in tune to even do that because they can be really easily mistaken for something else. Yeah. So I think something that you said that really stuck with me is that she turned took a coat off and turned it on, covered it around and covered her face with the hood part of it. She's a very clever child. Very well, clever. But she's but she's also trying to control access to her mouth. That's right. Yeah. So, yeah. so that's why, you know, I said that I think that if you watch, you know, a lot of people will say to us, um, oh, I just feel like my child's trying to control my home. Mm. And my response to that is, well, maybe your child doesn't feel as safe in your home as you think they do. So, mm-hmm. so, my, so my example of that is, is, um, is this. 25% of Americans in a recent survey said they were afraid of flying. Um, if we surveyed Americans, I'm sure there'd be nowhere near 25% who said they were afraid of driving. Even though statistically you're more likely to die between your front door, your driveway and the airport than you, than you are once you're in the airplane. But none of that actually matters because we feel safer in the automobile than we do in the aircraft. Right. That's what drives that. And the thing that drives that felt safety is? The control. I'm driving the car. So, um, so as the children, if they don't, the less, so this is, it's, that's the inverse relationship, right? The less safe the child feels in your home, the more they're going to try to control the environments. Mm. And so that's for, for us, some of our children who we would have said, my gosh, that kid has a lot of control tendencies over the years. They've really lessened their reins and trying to, to run the house mm-hmm. is in direct correlation to their anxiety being less and the sense of felt safety increasing in our home. Man, I think that's really powerful, Ryan. And, you know, here's where my mind went. And admittedly, I, I may not think like a lot of folks think, but when you're talking about controlling the home and, uh, you know, in my experience in supporting foster parents, we have families that struggle with their own control issues, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, where my mind kind of goes there is, uh, is it important for our – it's just as important for our foster families to have a sense of felt safety so that they can empower their children 
to have that same experience of health safety, right? Because like the pressure, the pressure I felt in the dentist office today, I, I knew that my daughter would eventually come around once she was comfortable enough. But as I'm, you know, as the, the dental hygienist is, is leaning over my shoulder, trying to take control of the situation because she has a, a schedule. <laughs> was she British? <laughs> uh, I, I felt, I felt unsafe myself, right? Because yeah. now I'm experiencing peer pressure yeah. mm-hmm. and it's threatening, you know, am I being judged? What are people thinking of me? Um, and, you know, fortunately I've, I've been doing this for a while. So, and, and I've, I've lived a little bit. Uh, so I, I don't care as much anymore about what other people think. Um, but I think that's a, a challenge that our foster parents experience. Would you guys agree? Absolutely. It's the idea of being in the Walmart and you want to you want to tattoo foster parent on your forehead so that you're not judged in a specific <laughs> way. Like, yeah, but these aren't my kids. I, I've done this differently with my I would have spanked my kids. Don't judge me. You know, and we can joke about that. And I think it is really funny. It's supposed to be laughable, too, um, because we've got to find some levity in all this. But we all are, I think, just because of our own human brokenness. We're going to feel the pressure of being judged or somebody else taking control in that situation. As a clinician, I get often asked, hey, Lori, how how do you handle this situation or when do you feel most out of control? And I can honestly say I've never felt out of control with a child. And it's not because of an authority thing and because I'm the adult and that's the child, but it's because I have to stay in control so that child doesn't have a desire to obtain that control, right? I'm in control so that you don't have to. I want that child to be rest assured, I got you. We're in this thing together. And so when you're, when you're battling through those judgments, what is your mantra? What is the thing that's t- talking you off the cliff of feeling and experiencing the judgment or the eyes or the ridicule from others? There's got to be something to take you back to the core of what you're doing and why you're doing it. And for you and your child, that's, that's your biological child. And you're like, okay, I'm going through this, this experience with these dental hygienists and everyone watching. But come the end of the day, I've got my daughter. And I'm going to help her get through that. Was that what you experienced? Was there a moment where you're like, no? Yeah, I'm I mean, help her. It, that's exactly right. I mean, and and our hope, I think, is is always that our foster families feel that same that same level of, uh, gosh, I want to say ownership, but that's not it. You understand that's what I mean? Yeah. Commitment, right? right? Like Investment. this is this is a, this is my kid. Like I'm responsible for them and their mm-hmm. well being right now, and and to hell with the with the the rest of the world. Yeah. So your, your original question um, just sparked like five thoughts in my head. And so I hope that these make sense as they come out of, out of my head. Um, number one, I think what we have to recognize, um, is you, is you cannot give what you yourself do not possess. Right. So if you, this is why, you know, every time Lori and I have an opportunity to speak to any group of people, I think at some point, even whether it's subject matter relevant or not, we'll point back to the fact that you really have to do some work on yourself. You have to understand who you are, where you come from, because it really helps you understand why you do the things you do and it helps you understand why the things that bug you about the kids bug you Absolutely. about the kids, right? So you cannot show, so Karen Purvis used to say, you cannot show a child the, the path to healing if you don't know the way yourself. And I think that's just really, really, really valuable. This idea, though, um, so, so I never actually thought about if adult, if the adults don't have this, the sense of felt safety about themselves and in their place in the world, can they communicate that to the children? And I think, you know, when we look at look at scripture, um, and and the Bible has this phrase, "Do not be afraid." Over and over, it's repeated about how you should not be afraid. But what I realize about that, it doesn't say, "Don't be afraid, be brave." It doesn't say that the antidote for fear is bravery. What it says, the antidote for fear is relationship. Mm. It says, do not be afraid for I, the Lord your God, am with you. Mm. 
don't be afraid, I'm with you. And so in a lot of ways, we have to abide in that. But in the same way, our presence with our children has to be the source of that safety. And so when, when they're struggling, we can't, we can't struggle with them. We've got to be the safe place. And I think that that's hard because we get dialed in emotionally. Right. And, and one of the most valuable things that was ever shared with me was your child's not mad at you. They're mad at adults. You just happen to be the only one in the room with them. Mm. And that really helped me to not take a lot, a lot personally because we were taking everything personally. It's hard not to. It is because I don't care who you are. Some kid yells, I hate you in your face. That's hard not to feel like wounded, right? Or go to hell, bitch. You're like, oh, you're five years old. (laughs) Hold on, hold on. Let me find that sensor button. (laughs) (laughs) Did you mark that in your notes? I think I left that in my office. I don't know. We were working blue on this thing. (laughs) (laughs) But you know what? Um, and I, I, I don't want to um, – Lori tells a great story, and I don't want to just say, hey, Lori, tell this story. But you do tell a great story about a trip you took with lions involved and what helped you feel safe in that situation that I've heard you tell it two or three times now, and I think it's just so powerful about the point it makes. So, I do. <clears throat> and to kind of put this idea, this notion of felt safety in the flesh, um, there's a parallel between going to a zoo and standing behind um, maybe an iron, or a, a iron bars or a glass cage and you can see a lion up close and personal and experience the majesty of this animal, the, the mane and the eyes and the whiskers and everything about this animal and just appreciate, um, which I've had the opportunity to do and I'm sure many of us have that have gone to a zoo to experience that. Well, a couple years ago, I was in Kenya doing some work and we were on a safari and I had the opportunity to sit up front with our driver and get to know him, um, basic life stories, getting to know you type questions, insomuch that when we stop the van to, to get out, he points to me and, and kind of takes me to his side and wants to walk me to a lion that he found. And I look over and it's a couple hundred yards away um, and I can see it and I, I start to get out my camera and zoom in and this amazing gentleman said no and he comes to take me by his hand and said, come with me, let me guide you, let's get closer. And I was a little shy and hesitant to say the least and said, no, you know, no, thank you, I'm fine. And in the most earnest and compassionate voice, he looks at me straight in the eyes and says, I've got you, don't be afraid. I know this animal, you're going to be fine. Please just trust me and come with me. And I'll tell you what, I didn't go. (laughs) He kept walking. He looks behind and he sees me zooming in on my camera and I'm still standing there um, and and I couldn't go. And the reason behind that was that I didn't feel safe. And yet what I love about this story is the compassion in his eyes and the earnest look and the things that he was saying to me is so relevant to what we say as foster parents to our children. I've got you. Don't be afraid. You're safe. Trust me. And we say it may be that we say those exact words or it may be that we imply that in our actions or in how we respond to our children. But come the end of the day, we can't get our kiddos to move to any point of connection or relationship or improvement unless they actually feel that safety. Yeah. You know, I wasn't going any closer to that lion because I authentically, intrinsically did not feel the safety that this gentleman was trying to convey to me. That's why I love that story because it takes – because you feel like – you feel like she's going to go to see the lion because she's with the guy and then it just takes a left turn like, oh, no, I know you told me. 
to trust you, but that's not enough for me. And I think that's why I love that because it makes such a great point because we're saying, trust me, you're safe. And we're saying you're safe because we're providing shelter, we're providing nurturing care, we're providing structure that a lot of our kids have now. There's, There's three meals a day, snacks every two hours, whatever you do at your home. And we're saying, I'm really communicating that you're safe in this environment and you're, we're not gaining that ground. And part of the reason we're not gaining that ground is because I think, because I think we live in the, the iTunes culture. It's all mm. on demand now. And, and okay, so you've been in my house for a week. Why aren't things different? Well, they might need to be in your house for 10 years. Before Amen. Some, right? Like, okay, my wife and I were talking recently about how our, our 16-year-old son, we've really seen an increase in him taking responsibility for his actions at the same time with a commensurate decrease in the amount of time that he, that he lies or tries to, to mislead us. And we started talking about, well, why do we think we got to that place? And we had to go back, you know, 12 years. I mean, it's been a 12-year journey to get to the point where he's starting to take accountability for his choices and his actions. Um, and so I don't mean that to be discouraging. I mean that to be encouraging, but also to say, um, you know, as a foster parent, if a child's in your home for six months, nine months, 12 months or whatever, you may never ultimately see the fruit of how you made the difference in that kid's life, which is hard. For me, that was always so hard because I want the results. I need sure. I need my charts and graphs in my Microsoft Excel to let me know we did okay. And I think that that's one of the great things about foster parents is that you have to come to terms with the fact that your ministry on earth, you may only see the fruits of that in heaven. Well, and what I love with that a step further is that it's such a reflection, at least for me, of my walk with Christ. You know, the moment I became a believer and wanted to have a relationship with him, it wasn't like I just all of a sudden quit doing the things I was doing before. I didn't just clean myself up because I was in this relationship. Mm -hmm. It takes years and it took years and it's still taking years for me. And there's days that I do really great at it and there's days that I fail completely. But it's it's the walk itself. It's the relationship itself. So let me ask you a question. And going back to that same story, do you? How do you feel about that that person that was trying to uh, convince you that it was safe to walk up to the lion? Do you feel like they failed you? I don't. And what I loved is that we had an opportunity in that in that car ride. It was a good hour car ride, and so in our conversations, we're getting to know each other. So that it, it wasn't a stranger that I hadn't had an opportunity to know a little bit more about or gain some kind of foothold. Um, and he didn't lead me astray. It was. It was. I wasn't ready. Yeah, and I think that's a good lesson for our foster parents as they're as they're trying to impart this to our kids, right? I think that a lot of times our our parents. I know myself. I felt a sense of failure if yes. my child doesn't uh, succeed in achieving felt safety in a given uh, set of circumstances. But the reality is, is that we're all on our own own journey, our own trajectory through this whole thing, and and we're just not all at the same point at the same time most of the time. And, um, so it's, I, I love hearing you say that you don't, you, you don't harbor any ill will towards that person. You don't think they failed you. You know, that was your moment to, you know, ride <laughs> bareback on a, on a lion or something like that. Right. Right. No, no not Absolutely. at all. And uh, a step further, what was really interesting is he came back up to me and he said, okay, not this time, but next time you come out to Kenya, it. I'm getting you there. That's We're going to walk up pretty close. And so it was this it challenge extended for him of, I'm going to give this another shot. I'm still going to work in this and on you in our relationship together so that you get to experience something really beautiful. I'm assuming you've avoided Kenya since he told you that. <laughs> he's waiting for you. <laughs> he's he's oh, sitting at the airport for those sides. His laureate, he's like, he's at customs. Okay. He's like, I'm 
taking your Zoom lens away every from day. <laughs> Empty all pockets before I get to our school. But that's such a great word for our foster parents. Not you know sometimes it's not this time, but but yeah. next time, right? That's right. Well, I think that's valuable to communicate that because if you can have that kind of mindset about it, it probably it means you're not going to give up because it's not failure this time. It's just we we just maybe. Maybe we just chiseled a millimeter away and maybe you can't see the the difference you made, right? But but you know that you have to know that it made a difference. And if you have that kind of long-range thinking that you're talking about, then you won't see that as a failure. You may see it as a temporary setback. You may see it as a hiccup, but you will never see it as a failure. And because as soon as you see it as a failure, we tend to disengage. And we can't disengage because the kids need us to not disengage. That's right. It's it's the silly old mantra. This This isn't a sprint. That's true. You know, it's a marathon, just like our relationship, just like our spiritual relationship. We've got to work at it and be intentional and know that it's going to take time. So on that note, guys, we've uh, we've spent about 20 or 25 minutes here talking about uh, felt safety. And, and uh, you know, we made some jokes before we actually started this thing up about it not being a craft project and, and not keeping uh, felt safe. So hopefully you guys are, are a little more... Uh, uh, educated or entertained and and we look forward to uh to seeing you uh download our our podcast in the future uh thanks so much for joining us and uh we'll we'll talk to you next time